Book One, Chapter Eighteen of Clara Vaughan, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Clara Vaughan, Volume One by R. D. Blackmore. Book One, Chapter Eighteen. But for the present, curiosity, gratitude, hate, all feelings indeed, and passions, except from the bled vein of love and the heart-rooted fibres of sorrow, were to be crushed within me. Evening after evening my dear mother's presence seemed more and more dreamy and shadowy, and night after night she went feebler and feebler to bed. In the morning, indeed, she had gathered some fragile strength, such strength as so wasted a form could exert, and the breeze and the fresh May sun made me believe of health on her cheeks but no more was I tempted to lay my arm round her waist and rally her on its delicate girlish span, nor could I now look gaily into her eyes and tell her how much she excelled her child. Those little liberties which, with less than a matron's dignity and more than a mother's fondness, she had so long allowed me, became as she still expected, and I could not bear to take them so many great distresses. Even at night, when I twined in its simple mode her soft brown hair, as I thought how few the times my old task would be needed again, it cost me many a shift to prevent her descrying my tears in the glass, or suspecting them in my voice. For herself she knew well what was coming. She had learned how soon she must be my sweet angel instead of my mother, and her last trouble was that she could not bring me to think the difference small. So calmly she spoke of her end, not looking at me the while for fear we should both weep, so gently and sweetly she talked of the time when I should hearken no more, as if she were going to visit a garden and hand me the flowers outside. Then, if I broke forth in an anguish of sobs, she would beg my forgiveness, as if she could have done wrong, and mourn for my loneliness after her, as though she could help forsaking me. Looking back, even now on that time, how I condemn and yet pardon myself, reflecting how little I tried to dissemble my childlike woe, when all things rejoiced in their young summer strength, and scarcely the breeze turned the leaves for the songs of the birds, and the pure white hawthorn was calm as the death of the good, and the soul of gladness was sad. We talked for the last time together, mother and child, looking forth on the farewell of sunset. The room under the thatch smelled musty in summer, and I had made up a bed on the sofa downstairs. The wasting low fever was past, and the wearisome cough exhausted, and the flush had ebbed from her cheeks, as the world from her heart and of all human passions and wishes and cares, not one left a trace in her bosom except a mother's love. This, and only this, retarded her flight to heaven, as the sight of his nest delays the rising of the lark. My child, she began, and her voice was low, but very distinct, my only and darling child, who has minded me so long, and laid her youth and beauty and high courageous spirit at the feet of her weak mother, my child, who fostered in wealth and love, will be to-morrow an orphan, cast upon the wide world. Here she fairly broke down, in spite of religion and heaven, and turned her head to the pillow, a true daughter and mother of earth. I would fain have given that fortune, whose loss to me she lamented, for leave to cry freely with her, without adding to her distress. In a minute or two she was able to proceed. With her thin hand she parted the hair, shaken purposely over my eyes. I am sure that my pet will listen, with kindness and patience, while I try to say what has lain so long at my heart. You know how painfully I have always been moved by any allusion to the death of your dear father. It has been a weakness, no doubt, on my part, 
but one which I vainly strove against, and for which I trust to be pardoned where all is pardon and peace. Her voice began to tremble, and her eyes became fixed, and I feared a return of the old disorder, but she shook it off and spoke again distinctly, though with great labour. This is a bitter subject, and I could never bring myself to it till now, when it seems too late. But, my poor love, I am so anxious about it. For the rest, that providence which has never forsaken us, repine as I would, I can trust that providence still to protect my darling child. There is one thing, and only one, by promising which you will make my departure quite happy. Then I shall go to rejoin your father, and carry such tidings of you as will enable us both to wait in the fullness of time your coming. Oh, that the fullness of time were come, I cried, in my selfish loneliness. For me it is empty enough. My precious, my own darling Clara, you sob so, you make me most wretched. Mother, I will not cry any more. Neither did I, while she could see me. I need not tell you, she said, what is that promise which I crave, for your own dear sake. No, ma'am, I replied, I know quite well what it is. I saw that I had grieved her. How could I call her, then, anything else than mother? My mother, dear, you wish me to promise this, that I will forego my revenge upon him who slew my father. She bowed her head, with a look I cannot describe. In the harsh way I had put it, it seemed as if she were injuring both my father and me. Had you asked me anything else, although it were sin against God and man, if you could ask such a thing, I would have pledged myself to it, as gladly as I would die, die at least if my task were done but this this one thing only to abandon what i live for what i was born to do to be a traitor to my own father and you i implore you mother by him whose glory is on you now do not ask me this her face in its sadness and purity made me bury my eyes and forget things then i must die and leave my only child possessed with a murderer's spirit the depth of her last agony and which I believed would cling to her even in heaven, was more than I could bear. I knelt on the floor and put my hand to her side. Her worn-out heart was throbbing again with the pang of her disappointment. Mother, I cried, I will promise you this. When I have discovered, as I must do, that man who has made you a widow and me an orphan, if I find any plea whatever to lessen his crime, or penitence to atone for it, as I hope to see my father and mother in heaven, I will try to spare and forgive him. Can you wish me to rest in ignorance and forget that deed? Clara, she answered weakly, and she spoke more slowly and feebly every time. You have promised me all I can hope for. How you loved your father. Me too you have loved. I cannot say how much. For my sake you have borne poverty, trouble, and illness without a complaining word, by day and by night through my countless wants and long fretfulness. I put my finger upon her pale lips. How could she tell such a story? Her tears came now and then, and would not be stopped, as she laid her weak hand on my head. May the God of the fatherless and the poor, who knows and comforts the widow's grief, the God who is taking me now to his bosom, bless with all blessings of earth and heaven, and restore to me this my child. A sudden happiness fell upon her, as if she had seen her prayer's acceptance. She let her arms fall round me, and laid my cheek by the side of her bright flowing smile. It was the last conscious stir of the mind. All the rest seemed the flush of the soul. In the window the night scented with heath was blooming. Outside it the jessamine crossed in the milky way of white stars, and the lush honeysuckle had flung down her lap in clusters. 
the fragrance of flowers lay heavy upon us and we were sore weary with the burden of sorrow and joy so tranquil and kind was the face of death that sleep his half-brother still held his hand the voice of the thrush from the corner laurel broke the holy stillness like dreams of home that break our slumbers his melody was its own excuse my mother awoke and said faintly with no gleam in her eyes raise me upon the pillow my love that i may hear him once more he sings like one your father and i used to listen to every evening in the days when we watched your cradle i lifted her gently the voice of nature made way for her passing spirit now kiss me my child once more my own loved child my heart is with you forever light of my eyes you are growing dim she clasped her hands in prayer with one of mine between them my other was around her neck then she spoke slowly with a waning voice but firmly as if it had been her marriage response thou art my guide and my staff i have no fear neither shadow of trembling make no long tarrying o my god the bird went home to his nest and she to that refuge where all is home though the hands that held mine grew cold as ice and her lips replied to no kiss and the smile on her face slept off into stillness and a grey shade crept upon her features i could not believe that all this was death end of book one chapter eighteen